the letter to the Ephesians, so verse 17 to 32, title of my message is Repentance, a New Life Style. Now, just before I kick off, just want to ask here to see how many people know or have heard of a lady called Ellen DeGeneres. Put your hand up if you've heard about Ellen DeGeneres, the, the talk show hostess, quite famous person. Now, if you, if you do like to read the news and to see what's going on in the world, you would know that over the last couple of weeks, the entertainment world has been uproar because something related to Ellen DeGeneres and her show. Now, if you don't know anything about her, let me just bring you some information about her. Now, Ellen is the hostess of a talk show of her own. Uh, talk show, which is like not just a talk show. There's so much more that actually happens in her show. Now, she's been doing that for the last 17 years, and she's been doing that quite successfully. So you could argue that Ellen DeGeneres is for our current generation what Oprah Winfrey was for the 80s and 90s in the in beginning of the, 20, the 2000 century, uh, 2000 in, uh, in America. So she's quite famous. She was, she's adored by everyone. She's known by everyone. She, she was the one who was invited to, to be the, the MC for the, the Academy Award a few years ago. And you know that there's a prestige that is only given to people who are really adored by celebrities and all of them. So she is really well liked. And you would know that she lives by a motto, which she refers to at every single time she has the opportunity, especially at the end of every single episode of her TV show. So she always closes her TV show by saying this, be kind to one another. Every time, every time she finishes by saying, be kind to one another. Now, the reason why she made the headlines and she's become quite um, the talk of town over the last couple of weeks is not because of that. It's because of the opposite of that. Now, I've got a few quotes here from an article from a lady called Diane Cho from the People's Magazine that was released on uh, August 18, and she wrote uh, there a few things about it, even some quotes directly from Ellen. Now, if you don't know what's happening, it's uh, quite embarrassing in a way, but it is very revealing for, for the world uh, that of entertainment world and 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 talk shows and all of that. So I'll I'll read it to you. What's uh, what the People's Magazine say? So open quote. So Ellen is all about be kind to one another. However, in recent reports, staffers have claimed that the work environment of the show is anything but kind, setting off a wave of controversy. End quote. So that's the be that's why Ellen has been on the head. On, uh, on, uh, on headlines of most magazines and TV shows and, and commenting and blogs and all of that. Because even though that's the motto that she lives by, apparently that hasn't been practiced in her show. Now, Ellen, of course, became aware of it. And all of a sudden, she decided to uh, make a public statement in relation to it, to which she said, open quote, Hi, everybody. It's Ellen. Did I sound like her? Probably. <laughs> Hi, everybody. It is Ellen. On day one of our show, I told everyone in our first meeting that the Ellen DeGeneres show would be a place of happiness. No one would ever raise their voice and everyone would be treated with respect. Obviously, something changed. And I am disappointed to learn that this has not been the case. And for that, I am sorry. 
Anyone who knows me knows it is the opposite of what I believe and what I hoped for our show. End quote. Now, on that statement, you, can, you can't really know if she's involved or not. You know that she's there and it's happening. And it kind of like indicates that she wasn't really aware that she became aware of it. But of course, investigations were launched and a lot of things were found. People were finding out things and eventually they found out she was the perpetrator of some of that. Not the exclusive one, but she was the perpetrator of some of that. So she made another public statement, and I will read it some, uh, just a section of that to you. So open quote. I am a multi-layered person. I try to be the best person I can be, and I try to learn from my mistakes, the hostess says. I'm hearing that some people felt that I wasn't kind or too short with them or too impatient. I apologize to anybody if I've hurt your feelings in any way, end quote. Now, the truth is things are still unfolding. There is an investigation that Warner Brothers is conducting in relation to Ellen, and we don't know what's going to happen. That's the truth, but there is a chance that even her talk show is going to be canceled. But we just don't know what's going to happen yet. But the truth is, the reason why this became such a thing is because this reveals a schizophrenic scenario. Now, I'm not here using the word schizophrenic in a pathological way, but I'm using it just to represent the, the reality of the separation between the, the world of the thoughts and the ideas, what we think and what we want and our ideals and what reality actually is. Even though at the end of every single episode, Ellen would say, be kind to one another, it's very like once the camera is off, she was everything to them but kind. Sounds like it. Now, I don't mean to sound too harsh on Ellen here because as you, can see, as you will see later on down the track, I believe what Paul is doing is addressing a very similar scenario when it comes to the Ephesians. He is addressing a possible Christian schizophrenia that sometimes is very characteristic to some Christian groups. And he knew that the Ephesians would not necessarily be immune to that. He knew that sometimes Christians would know things, that Christians would understand things, but their lives would not necessarily represent the reality they believe in. That's for you, that's for me, that's for everyone. So I believe when Paul is writing this section that we've just read, he's trying to help people to avoid that Christian schizophrenia that can be very dangerous to the Christian life. And I believe his answer to that is to help you seeing repentance not as a singular action that takes place in the life of the Christian, but rather as a lifestyle. Okay? So the, the answer that Paul gives to people to Christians, to live a life that will avoid the danger of that Christian schizophrenia is a lifestyle of repentance. Now, we just saw that Ephesians is exactly that. It's a book that has foundational Christian doctrines for Christian living. Rather, what I'm saying is this. Paul is saying who you are and therefore you should live. That's who you are. That's how, therefore how you should live. Now, 
Now he's addressing the issue of when those two pictures, they don't match. You see? Sometimes this is who you are and this is how you should live. They're not like in sync. So Paul is saying, okay, I believe the reason why they are not in sync is because you didn't make uh, your, your lifestyle a lifestyle of repentance. So I think that's what exactly what's going to do. He's going to give you three steps for embracing a lifestyle of repentance. How do you do that? You need to do these true things. Now, before I actually go into the text, let me just say, you're not going to find repent, the word repentance in the text, right? So, Juliana, how would you come up with that? Repentance. It's not, it's not in the text. So what do you mean? It, 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 it sort of is. If you read verse 23, you see that Paul is writing all of that. So that, Christians, they are going to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. And that's precisely what repentance means. The word repentance comes from the Greek word metanoia, which is a junction of two words there. Meta means 180 or half, you know. And noia means mind. So repentance is a change of 180 degrees in the mind. So it's a change of mindset. It's a sh- that's what repentance is. When your mind is going one way and all of a sudden it's fed different information and makes a shift and now it's going in a different direction. That's the definition of repentance, which is clearly portrayed in verse 23 to be that renewed, the the renewal that happens in the spirit of one's mind. So now let me read, let me go through the steps that he suggests you. How can you adopt a lifestyle of repentance for yourself. So step number one, I believe he says that you should acknowledge your old life or the life of unbelievers that are around you. You can clearly see that in verse 17, 18, and 19. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of heart. They have, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Now, I find it amazing that the first thing that he does when he starts to talk about repentance is to give, a, give you a full picture of what is a life without God. He, that, that's what he does. You should not walk as the Gentiles do. And then he starts to say, what, they, what, they, what do they actually do that it is the problem? And the first thing that he says is that their thoughts are useless and they are unable to see the truth. You see that in verse at the end of verse 17, beginning of verse 18, he says that they are spiritually dead because of their lack of knowledge of God and hardness of heart. That's the second part of verse 18. And verse 19, he says that they have numbered, they have numbed, they have been numbed by sin and are now entrapped by it. Look, the first step for you to make a turn or a shift going from one direction and to go to another direction is looking at what where you were going, where you used to be, or looking at those who are around you who do not belong to Christ and watch their lives. That's what he's saying. It as if Paul is saying, do you want to go back there? Just look at it. I know it looks a lot of fun 
sometimes, but just watch the end of it. Watch how in their thoughts they are used. They, they, can't, they cannot see the truth. The truth they, are in, they are entrapped by their sin. They have been numbed. They, they're, they're calloused in their spirituality. The picture that Paul portrays here is a picture of total spiritual hopelessness. Now, if you can't see that, there is no way I can even emphasize that to you because the only way we can actually see that is with the help of God. Paul is portraying a picture of someone who have decided to ignore, to, 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 to deny God's call upon them, upon them lives and act in a way that's against his will. And then initially, it prickles our conscience a little bit. But we're like, okay, that's what keep going. It prickles a little bit less next time. And then it prickles you a little bit less. And then all of a sudden, it doesn't, it doesn't bother you anymore. You're being numbed, and then you, you're entrapped by it. You're dependent on it, and then all of a sudden you're ensnared, and you have no way out. What does that mean to you and to me? Why is Paul telling this to the Ephesians? Because he's saying you should sometimes, not always, but sometimes, in, as the first step, or in the first step in your journey of repentance, looking at your past without Christ. Just look at it. If you, if you, especially if you had a conversion, if you, if you experienced a, a conversion in your life, a moment where you're like, my life actually changed here. I became a Christian here. If that happened to you, my encouragement to you is look at what your life used to be and ask, do you want to go back there? Do you want to go back there? And as I said this morning, sometimes I talk, I talk and I chat to people. They have amazing testimonies from drug dealers to prostitutes and things like that. All of those who are considered to be living the good life because of money, fame, and status, and all of that. And they became Christians. And then you talk to them. And then you, would you like to go back to what he was? You're like, no. I've been saved from something. I was heading towards, towards a, a path that was a path of destruction. Now, maybe, maybe you, were, you were born in a Christian home, and, and you, you didn't necessarily experience a lot of those things. So I encourage, his encouragement is just to look at unbelievers around you, people living without Christ. When you see the destruction, when you see the problems, let me tell you something. That's you apart from the grace of God. That's me apart from the grace of God. When you see all the bad stuff happening in the world, that's exactly what you, where you would be God, if God didn't have put, literally pulled you out of the miry clay, as the song says. So the first step to live a life of repentance is just look at those things and, and understand exactly what it is to be without God in the world. You need to do that often because we forget, don't we? We forget. Um, one of the, the favorite things that I like to watch on, on Netflix and all of there are documentaries. And, and we like, uh, you know, criminal documentaries like about crimes and, you know, where you find the details. And, and lately we've been watching some, a series of documentaries on, on the minds of serial killers. Like what causes them to, I'm not sure if, you, if you've heard of, for example, people like called Teddy Bunty in America and a few people who are pretty known for their serial killing and just trying to understand what 
what happens to people that drove them down that path but the truth is after watching the documentary like that it's pretty easy to for you to come to to the end of it feeling pretty disgusted about the person whoever that person is or whatever they've done it thinking how could they've done it how can a human being descend to a level like that let me warn you like right now if you haven't descended to a level like that just now it's because god's holding you back his grace is holding you back. The system that he has put in place to, to withhold, to hold iniquity back, is what holds you back from it. And I like to say the social media is a good example of that. Do you know what, why people are so nasty in social media to one another? Because they're not afraid of being, being punched in the face. That's why they're nasty to one another. They would never say that to each other's face. But... Can you see the holding back that the fear of being punched in the face has? It's a good thing sometimes. I'll tell you what. So those things are put in place to hold you back. So when you watch those serial killer documentaries, know this. The grace of God has been holding you back from a horrible, horrible future. And that's especially if you're a Christian. You need to know that. But sometimes you need to look back at your past and think, God saved me from a terrible predicament. Step number one would be that. Step number two would be learn the way of Christ. Very clearly displayed in verse 20 and 21. But that is not the way you learned Christ. So he just said, that's how the Gentiles walk. And he's saying, but that's not the way you learned Christ. They didn't know, but they learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. So if you want to establish a life of repentance for yourself, let me tell you this. Yes, you need to look at those, uh, the way how the Gentiles live, but you need to learn. You need to spend time learning, acquiring truthful knowledge about and according to Jesus Christ. Has to be a priority in, in your life. It means here something very simple. There are things about Christ you and I do not know when we become Christians. When we become Christians. And throughout our whole lives, we are on a journey to learn those things about Christ. So Paul is telling them, you, you, you're, you're in the process, you've learned Christ. That's not how you learned him. Once you became a Christian, you received new information that should be the foundation for which you should live your life. So what Paul is saying to you and to me here is very simple. He's saying seek and acquire the truth of Christ. Do not assume you know it. Do not assume you know it. Because you could be in very, in very big trouble if you just think, No, I think I know God. I think I know who He is. I don't need to learn much. I think I'm pretty okay. This sounds reasonable. This sounds good. Don't assume you know it. You should seek and acquire the truth of Christ from Christ. And at the same time, you should be ready to let go the lies you have believed in to embrace the truth of Jesus. Those things need to go hand in hand. Not just seek to know 
what the truth is, but also when that truth confronts the lie that it is in your heart, you need to have an attitude of readiness to let go and say, whoa, 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 hang on a minute. This that I'm bringing to the table is no good. I'm, I'm, I'm putting down. I, I don't want anything to do with that. And I learned that early on. I told that story about my mom. My mom had this um, very interesting phrase that she used to use very often, which, was, which is, um, we are all children of God. She used to love to say that to me. I, I used to hear that phrase at least once a week. Now, the heart behind it, I can definitely appreciate it. My, my mom was trying to, 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 to help me have compassion for other people to help respect other people, to help me value other people. And the way how he did that, she did that, boy, was by telling me that we are all children of God. So I grew up learning that every week. We're, we're all children of God. And I heard that say, said about animals, said about everyone, and all of that. We're all children of God. And I was like, okay, fantastic. And um, just grew up with that. Became a Christian. Started to read the book of John. And came to the section that where the Lord Jesus says, uh, where, where the Apostle John says that, that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. But to all who received him, who can complete that? He gave them the power to become children, sons of God. And then I was confronted. Because I was like, hang on a minute, we are all, we're not all children of God? So those who received and believed in his name received the power to become children of God. And not even those. They were not children of God before then. So I, I definitely appreciate my mom's heart behind it. But the truth is, can you see how I had to take this piece of truth that I had in my mind and that was confronted to the truth of Jesus and I had to, to, to drop it? Because it's a, it's a, this is a very dangerous thing if you do not know the God. If you say that we are all children of God in that particular way is a very dangerous thing because the gospel affirms the opposite. So I had to let that go and it was very interesting because you know that's a that's a we are all children of God is, is definitely a politically correct statement that's very helpful and everyone likes it, right? Saying we are not all children of God, it's very complicated. As a matter of fact, Jesus, for example, even called the Pharisees ch children, children of Satan. It's like, hey, Satan is your father. How cool is that? Not very politically correct at all. But that's what he did. But can you see how, how we, have, we have grown up in, and we learned ways that are not necessarily the ways that are described as in the scriptures or the truth that it is in Jesus? So I remember once as well when, um, when, when I have people that usually come to me and ask about the, the, you know, those trendy, top, the hot topics that are out there, especially homosexuality, thinking, oh, you know, can a homosexual be a Christian? I had a conversation with a friend of mine like that, asking that question of me the other day. And um, he, he, he's, a, he's an open homosexual. And he came to me and said, oh, that's a decision that I made for my life. Can, what do you mean? Can, can I be a Christian? How does that work? like... I do not set the boundaries here, but let me tell you something. The scripture does. And not only that, when you come to Jesus, my question is this. Is everything you own on the table, yes or no? 
Because when you come to God, you cannot say, okay, I'll come, but can I keep this? I'm not even discussing the matter yet if this is right or wrong. I'm not. What I'm saying is, if you're coming to God with the, with the attitude of, I'm coming, but I'm keeping this, you didn't, you didn't understand. That's not the foundation of repentance. The foundation of repentance is, I come empty-handed. You can take every, just tell me what you want. I will learn, and I will learn your truth, and I will let go of the lies that I have. That's an attitude that is fundamental to repentance. Learn the way of Christ. Last step is you should actively engage in the process of repentance. Paul says very clearly, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and to put on the new self created after, he, after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with, his, who, who, uh, some, with when anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that he may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. So see, Ellen was quoting Paul. See? Came from here. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You should note this. Step number three of establishing a life of repentance is you actually need to do the work. God wants you to engage in the work. Repentance is not going to happen in your life. Oh, you're going to wake up in the morning and, and, and you're eating breakfast. Oh, I repented. I'm not a greedy person anymore. That's pretty amazing. That is not how, how it happens. Most of the time, anyway. I've heard some stories of people that sometimes ha happen like that. People being like released from like addiction to drugs and all that. I just don't do it anymore. God sometimes does that. But what he's saying is, you should be the one putting off the old self. In other words, he's saying, you should be the one saying, stop to this. You should be the one saying, looking at those things and thinking, this no longer has space in my life. I've been cuddling this sin for way too long. It is a time to put it on the table and say, God, that's enough. But not only that, repentance is, only, is, only, is always from something towards something else. So you put this on this table and you turn to the table of God full of Christian virtues and you put them on. You put the new self. That, you see, he's telling you should do it. Put on the new self. You see that very clearly from verse 22 for 23 and 24 over there. 
Now you would say to me, Juliana, it's easier said than done. <laughs> Thank you. It's not, that, it's not that easy, is it? How, how do I do that? How do I do that? And I believe the way how he writes the next few verses is a huge tip. A huge tip to help you to learn how to put off the old self and put on the new self, which is the repenting. Okay? So repentance is not feeling sorry about something. I messed up. I feel sorry. No. That's not repentance. That's remorse. And remember, who felt remorse in the Bible? Not repentance. Judas. He felt remorse. And then what he did, go ahead and killed himself. Doesn't help. Remorse doesn't help. Repentance is not feeling bad. It's not feeling sorry. That can help, but that's not it. Repentance is putting off and putting on. How do we do that? And he does a, he, he writes a list of vices and virtues for you to help you there. Those lists are everywhere in Paul's letter. When Paul writes letter, he would love to, he, he used to love writing lists and saying, okay, you don't know what sin is? Let me tell you. And then 20 chapters later, okay, there you go. Check it out. Do you see anything in there? And he, that's exactly what he does. He writes a, lot, a list of vices and virtues. Verse 25, he tells, and, and here I will put by that, uh, when you do those things, you become that. So verse 25, he's saying, do not be a liar, but rather be truthful. Verse 26, 27, and 31, do not be an angry person, but rather be a peacemaker. Verse 28, do not be a thief anymore, but become a generous worker. Verse 29, do not be a babbler, but become an encourager. And, by, and that's, a, that's a very interesting one when it comes to verse 29, because it said, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up. Which means, whatever rubbish comes out of our mouths, we shouldn't say it. <laughs> only what builds people up should come out of our mouths. Not what bring, destroy people. Do not become a griever of God. Become a pleaser of God. Do not be a bitter person, but rather become a forgiving person. Verse 31 and 32. This one is an interesting one. Verse 31. Do not be a noisy disturber. Clamor. Do you know that being that is not Christian-like? It's not Christ-like to be a noisy disturber. A clamor is when you... When you repeat, especially by shouting something, and you repeat, 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 repeat to the annoyance of people. Paul is saying, that's not how you should live. But rather, be kind. And then verse 31, do be not be a slanderer, but become a promoter. By the way, slander is not telling lies about other people, necessarily. When you're slandering a person is even if you tell something that's truth about them. I know some so-and-so is a thief. So I go and I tell someone else in a way trying to slander that person, to bring that person down, to put shame on that person instead of becoming a promoter of people. Malicious versus good. Do not be a, and malicious here is just a summary. It means evil. Uh, so do not be a person who seeks or who, who tries to harm or to promote evil, but become a person who promotes good. So see what he's doing here? 
It's a list of things that we do wrong sometimes. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. He's not saying, he's not writing every single possible sin that you could commit. Maybe, I, I believe this is a list that would make sense to the Ephesians. So he knew the Ephesians. So he's writing, possibly this is a list of sins that the Ephesians would struggle with. So he would write them down for them. But you know what I get out of this that is helpful to you and to me? Is this that I... I think I've learned this in the, in the first few years of my Christian walk, but it became very powerful too. And it, it, it's very powerful. It's also very confronting. You should learn early on to name your sins. You should learn early on to name your sins and to call those sins by the name that they are. You should say, oh, I like sleeping in every day. No, you should say, I'm lazy. <laughs> you shouldn't say, oh, no, I just like to download illegal stuff sometimes. No, I have a tendency to steal things online. I'm a thief. You should name your sins. I do not just look at other women who are not my wife. I am an adulterer at heart. And so on. Name, now, isn't that very confronting? When you think of it on those lines, like, whoa, this sounds horrible. It's because it is. It is horrible. But learning to name your sin in the same way that Paul is doing here is very powerful. Because when you do that, you see how disgusting sin is. And that is a force, a powerful force to propel you out of those practices. In, when we do evangelism, we do what's called a good person test. Have you heard of it? Good person test is to help people see that they're not good people. When you, when you talk to the average Australian and you ask them, are you a good person? What do you think they say to you? Yes or no? Yes. They would be fairly confident that they are good people. We're all very confident that we are good people until we are putting against, we put our standard against God's standard, you see? So we get the Ten Commandments. Okay, so let's say, okay, let's, if God will judge you by the Ten Commandments, how well do you think you would go? Because most people, when they, especially those who don't know the Ten Commandments, say, yeah, I think you're pretty okay. Okay, let's, let's just walk you through it a few things here. Some of the, okay, let's, have you ever told a lie in your life? And they would say, yes, and then that's everyone. How do you call a person who tells lies? A liar? Okay, got one there. Have you ever looked at, with lust upon another woman? Yes. How do you, how Jesus called that? Adulterate heart. Okay, fantastic. Have you ever stolen something, even if it's something small, like a pencil from someone or a coin that you've just seen there, no one was watching you like, whoa, that's mine now. Or, you know, he's, uh, I think it's, uh, um, technology these days made that very simple, like illegal stuff that people download. Have you ever done that at least once in your life? Yes, all of them, everyone has to say yes, even if it's something small. How do you call a person who steals? A thief. So just very quickly, out of three things that we can, three patterns that we have, 
you are a liar, a thief, and a daughter at heart. How well it's looking for you in Judgment Day. And then people start to think, yeah, no, I'm not as good as I thought I was. I am not. And that's exactly what points. Learning to name your sin is very powerful. Very powerful. Because look at that and think, how am I going to stand up before God if I'm doing this on that day? But not just that, you should learn to turn from it towards the godly virtue that's the opposite of it. As Paul says, those who used to steal now work. Work and give. Be generous. Be kind to others. For those who are lying, now learn to tell the truth. For those who are always angry and causing trouble all the time, now become a peacemaker. And so on. That's the encouragement that Paul has for us. I believe if you want to avoid Christian schizophrenia, you need to learn to practice these three steps. You need to learn to adopt a lifestyle of repentance that it is based on first step number one, just looking at your past as a non-Christian. You need to learn to do that regularly, often, a lot. Learn to learn the way of Christ and let it go your own lies and embracing the truth of Christ. And then you need to actively engage in the process of repentance. You need to get your hands dirty. If you do that, Paul is encouraging you to say, you will not be one of those whose life look very different when it comes to the belief and to the outlook of your life. On Sunday, you look okay, but Monday to Saturday, hmm, bit sketchy there. In a way, as I said, and I, and, I, and I use Ellen example not to come down on her too strong because I wanted to say that's all of us. We all experience those, that disparity between in, in many times. And Paul is saying, learn to live a lifestyle of repentance that will fix that. Because you constantly, when you find the problems, you adjust it. When you find the problems, you adjust it. When you find the problems, you adjust it. You see? That's... God's heart for you and for me. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for your word. That it is a light to our path. That brings light into darkness. That clearly, your, your word says about your own word that it is a sharp-edged sword that divides. And that causes the vision and brings distinction and enables us to discern what is right and what is wrong. And reveals the depths of our hearts, the things that we do that grieve you. And Father, this afternoon we want to declare before you that we are all guilty here. We are all guilty of, at some stages in our lives, sometimes more than others, to, to display this Christian schizophrenia. To walking, we, we, we're guilty of walking in ways that if someone is watching from the outside, they would think, we do not know you. So Father, have mercy on us. Forgive our sins through the blood of Jesus. May your mercy cover us, and may, may, may by the power of the Spirit we learn what it is to live, not just a life that started with repentance, 
but that we learn how to live a lifestyle of repentance. And may your name be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.